you, my friend, are listening to the Happy Hearthstone. This episode is brought to you, as always, by listeners just like you. Thank you so much, Major Death, Barbaric Yop, Boticus, Wicked Good, Brett R., Doge TK, Mr. Jones, Trevor Y., and Avantis for supporting the show and investing in yourselves. You can join them and get some great perks for yourself over at patreon.com slash the happy hearthstone. And be sure if you're listening on Apple Podcasts to swing over and give a review. It's a free way to support the show and really makes a lasting impact. Or you can search on iTunes for the happy hearthstone and leave it there. Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the Happy Hearthstone, the longest-running Hearthstone podcast in the history of space and time and cards. I'm your host, Andrew Brown, and this week I'm joined by you. It's good to be with you. This week it's just going to be you and me again. Uh, Unfortunately, our guest for this week had some trouble nailing down a time, but don't worry, he'll be coming soon in the future. And uh, there's actually a ton going on for the show in the coming weeks because uh, BlizzCon is nigh upon us. And so I'll let you know a little bit about what's coming with that. Today we are going to break down the meta because we haven't looked at it in a while and see what the impact of all of these wild cards and standards have been. And we're going to answer the question that taunted you as you opened up this podcast episode. And that is, is Shaman as crazy as you think? The answer? It might surprise you. Does this sound like a news uh, segment or something? (laughs) I don't know, but it's the question everyone's asking, and I figured it'd be a great place to start talking about the meta for this episode. So that's honestly going to be a bulk of the show. We have some other fun stuff to talk about, and let's get right into it with why I'm happy today. I've got several reasons why I'm happy, and I realize that I've been neglecting to tell you about them for several weeks now. I've actually meant to tell you about some of the games outside of Hearthstone that have really made me happy lately, so I thought we'd just kick off why I'm happy with that. And actually, two of these games have been solely on my phone, which I'm just so used to Hearthstone and Eternal kind of taking up my card game time on my mobile device that other games uh, that are in the mobile world, I just don't really uh, care to look at. But there have been a couple that have come my way that have changed that. And one of them was the introduction of Mario Kart World Tour. Oh my goodness, have you all played this yet? It is amazing to me that Nintendo was really able to create a full Mario Kart for the phone. And there's a little bit lost in control, but it's really not too bad. And especially the fact that they were able to work in drifts, fantastic. I I don't like that I can't control... You basically either pick whether you're going to auto-drift or not drift at all. That's a bummer. I feel like I have to drift because I'm an old-school Mario Kart player. Uh, But that does make it really difficult. Uh, Even in those old-school games, you didn't want to drift all the time. So it it adds a layer of difficulty, I guess. Um, But it's been a lot of fun to play that. I actually have a group of uh, buddies here, uh, guys that I meet with most weeks, and they all have gone hog-wild for Mario Kart. (laughs) And uh, they actually were leveling up and doing way better than I am. But I'm still having a ton of fun whenever I get the chance. It's just cool to be able to have a Nintendo experience in uh, in the palm of my hand. And, you know, for a company that was so late to the game as far as mobile games are, are, are concerned, uh, I've, I've been really impressed with how they were able to create a full premium experience for Mario Kart uh, that doesn't feel slimy and yet really uh, rewards people for 
buying because obviously companies want to make money in order to create games. So I think it's fair for them to create uh, ways to do that. And yeah, Mario Kart just really impressed me with how they do that. So very cool. If you haven't checked it out, I would really encourage you to. The other one is actually Call of Duty Mobile. Now, this one I have to temper a little bit because it is a, it is actually a big player in all of the Hong Kong and China stuff. Uh, right now, uh, Activision's been working really hard to get Call of Duty Mobile into China, and they're kind of waiting on some things. So the game was unfortunately marred by the whole Blizzard Blitzchung experience. But honestly, I've still played the game, and I have been extremely impressed, similarly to Mario Kart. But I would say for Call of Duty, it's actually more difficult to create a full experience for Call of Duty on a mobile device. And again, just super, super impressed with how they modified things. It, the, the controls aren't exactly tight, but they're tight enough that I feel like I'm playing the game well. I'm able to play it about as well as I can. And really cool, all of the maps, or at least most of them, are from past Call of Duty games. So I haven't played Call of Duty in a few years, but I used to be obsessed. Like Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, Black Ops, um, and what was the other one? I guess World at War was the very end of the World War II saga until a couple years ago or something. But yeah, I played I played the heck out of those games, especially the multiplayer. I was uh, grinding for the veteran achievements on Xbox 360 and stuff. So being able to download this for free and play some of those maps that I remember and have a full Call of Duty experience, very, very cool. And their Battle Royale mode is in there as well. And they have a, uh, a setting in there where you can actually squad up with people. Uh, similar to Apex Legends, that's why I've been able to get into that game a lot. Because I like the Battle Royale experience a whole lot more when I've got a few people that kind of have my back and I have theirs, essentially. Although in Apex, I've been having, I've been struggling lately finding people that <laughs> actually want to do that. They've been... Uh, jetting off into their own uh, their own places on the map unfortunately so though most of my time has been on the multiplayer uh like free for all or team deathmatch and stuff in call of duty i i have played battle royale a few times i've actually gotten first place every time i've played it so far i think three different times so i don't know if that's i don't know what that's a reflection of i don't think i'm a god at that game but uh, i do have some battle royale experience with with apex legends and it's it's impressive that I can just do that. I, I'm pretty sure Fortnite's been doing that for a while, so I guess it's uh, it's not impressive on the technology front, but for me, I haven't had that experience yet on my phone, and so for that to feel as robust as it does is pretty cool. Uh, again, they, they have a pretty good uh, free-to-play experience on there. So I don't get anything uh, for telling you about those like from the companies or anything. I've just been having a lot of fun with both of those and wanted to make sure you knew about them. And uh, if you haven't tried them out, I'd encourage you to if you're interested in them. Because uh, for me, they've been really fun diversions. I, I've never been able to play a first-person shooter in bed when I'm going to sleep. And it's nice to have it as an option when my wife wants to go to bed too early and I'm just, uh, you know, still my mind's spinning and I just need to kill some fools in uh, Call of Duty. So that's nice. The other one is uh, was a crazy announcement that came over the past week, and that's Legends of Runeterra. I'm sure many of you have heard about it, and you probably fall into one of two camps. You either really don't care because you've got your card game decisions on lock, and that's fine, or you've gone overboard, you've played it, and uh, you have the exact same opinion as I do because 
I, pretty much everyone I've talked to that has gotten to play the game is in love with it. Uh, it's from Riot Games. It's based on the League of Legends world, which, uh, to be transparent, I don't know a ton about. I know it's a MOBA. I know it's been extremely successful, especially in the esports arena. Uh, but uh, I, I haven't looked into much as far as the Legends. I've never actually played it. Even Team Fight Tactics, which a lot of Hearthstone players have really enjoyed, which is like a game mode, even though it's kind of its own thing uh, from the League of Legends team. Yeah, I, I just haven't gotten into at all. But when they announced this past week that they're coming out with a full card game called Legends of Runeterra, I had to check it out, especially since everybody basically was. There was a very closed beta where people were able to get access from watching Twitch streams. And then if you were one of the random people that got chosen from that, you'd get access. I got that on Thursday or Friday. I can't remember. And I was very lucky too. But I didn't want to, uh, you know, shove that off. So I jumped on and tried it out. And I've got to say, super, super impressed, like pretty much on every level. It feels fresh and yet familiar at the same time, which is kind of what you want in a card game. The polish level is absolutely bonkers. I'm sure for League of Legends fans, it's even greater. But for me, as somebody who really doesn't know uh, any of the characters or the world or anything like that, I was still very impressed by how clean it felt. There's still a few room for improvement uh, things, especially like the deck construction experience, I think. Um, but this was a this was just a few days where they opened this up for streamers and for the public who were able to get those Twitch drops. So, uh, yeah, I played through the tutorial. I played several games with like a list that uh, Dog <laughs> had put out there that basically just spammed the elusive ability, which is something not yet found in Hearthstone, where you you basically attack and your opponent can only block with units that have the same ability. So they sort of go under the under the sneaky playing field. It's like a reverse taunt, I guess, in a way. Anyway, um, it was really busted. I don't think I lost a single game with it, so pretty crazy. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. There were some really unique gameplay things as far as the champions. So these are sort of legendary creatures in Hearthstone, but there's a specific way that you can upgrade them by kind of fulfilling uh, a certain thing. So some of them uh, would be if you deal so much damage. Some of them would be if you've played so many spell cards. There's actually one that when it dies, it upgrades. So it, it doesn't actually die. And that one was really frustrating to play against for me because it's like, I can't, uh, I can't do anything except upgrade this thing for them. So uh, anyway, I'm sure there will be some ways around that. But that was fun. Uh, there's actually a way that you can um, save up your mana for future turns. So the mana works similarly to Hearthstone, where each turn you're going to have an additional one. But any unspent mana can actually go in a reservoir pool that you can use in future turns. And it's it's more nuanced than that, but pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, obviously all of the keywords and uh, all that stuff were fun too. So very unique, fun. It felt easy to get the hang of once I started playing it. Tutorial did a good job of kind of helping through that. So I'm, I'm really excited to play more. And they're, they're pretty heavily taunting that everyone is going to be able to get most of the cards playable for free. So um, they're really putting up that banner that this is going to be a... Uh, if you do your time, essentially, a card game that anyone can get in, get the cards that they need for free, and be able to be competitive in it. So I'm really excited to see what comes from that. If there's no room in your game gaming portfolio for Runeterra, uh, you don't need to feel pressured. But if you'd, if you'd like to check it out, especially if you're a League fan, 
uh, I, I would say it is well worth your time. And though Hearthstone and Eternal have been the two games that I play really consistently, I think Runeterra is going to be another one that I really want to. Although I'm going to need it on mobile because so far it's only uh, it was only released for PC for the for that closed beta time, and I just don't get on my PC enough to be able to play that play a game like that daily. So. I will be looking forward to more from that, and I think it's actually mid-November when they're going to do their next uh, their next closed beta. It's several rounds of closed beta until like probably mid to late 2020 that we get the full release. So pretty cool. So lots of reasons why I'm happy there. Uh, and actually, I guess since I'll play most of Runeterra on my uh, phone, mobile phone too, um, I'm just thankful that I have a, a, a phone that's only a couple years old because it can handle all these games and play them perfectly fine. So happy because of all of those. Another big reason that I'm happy though, of course, is BlizzCon. It is coming up November 1st and 2nd. Uh, only a couple weeks away, actually less than that. So I'm hyped. I'm going to be there again this year. Uh, if you missed last week's episode, I'll be speaking at the World of Podcast panel that is on uh, October 31st at the Anaheim Hilton. And I'm uh, really excited to be doing that with several friends that are on that. We'll be uh, speaking about all of our speculation and exciting things that we think could be coming at BlizzCon. And uh, as I've done in the past, I'm really excited to bring this back and do a full BlizzCon prediction episode. So if you're new to the show or if you don't remember this from last year, this was actually something that was started before I even took on this show where I go out to all the people who have been a part of this show over the past year. So anyone who's co-hosted with me for the past 52 weeks and invite them to send in their predictions and I'll assemble them all into one uh, big episode that'll be a lot of fun to release next week. And so you can be looking forward to hearing a lot of opinions and thoughts. I'll include mine as well. Of course, I can't leave you hanging like that. Um, should be a ton of fun to be able to throw all of that together and uh, really usher us into BlizzCon as prepared as we can be with a bunch of creative or pointed thoughts on, uh, on what's coming and with that, let's go into the news because BlizzCon's only a couple weeks away. So you know we've heard all of the details about what to expect. So I've got a lot to tell you here, except that I have literally nothing to tell you here. And honestly, it's a little bit weird. Uh, I get that with the with everything that happened with Blitzchung over the past couple weeks, things have started to feel odd going into BlizzCon. It is so closely uh, closely time-wise to when that happened that there's obviously going to be some lashback that I think Blizzard's going to feel at the event. It could be actually like protesters. It could be people that make it in. I, I, I am going to be very surprised if they do a single Q&A session because I think it's going to be impossible for them to just completely control uh, any anyone from saying something that would uh, just look bad, essentially. So I'm expecting that. What I wasn't expecting is just complete crickets when it comes to what's like what's going on, guys. So I had to look this up because basically all we've heard about so far is uh, is about the the gift that people who are attending BlizzCon are going to get. Typically, there's sort of a, a physical prize package that kind of has like different uh, commemorative gifts from the different franchises. Well, because this is the 25th anniversary of 
uh, World of Warcraft, they're doing away with that and just giving away one big commemorative collectible that's either an orc or a, or a uh, not a paladin, a, a human, human footman um, to celebrate that quarter century. So pretty cool. Uh, they, they had that announcement back in April. And then it was October 1st, actually, that we heard about the BlizzCon virtual ticket and most of the gifts that people uh, with that are going to get. But that's like, that's it. And, and so I had to look back on what the process of revealing things was like last year. And so they actually, um, they actually teased out the different things that you would get for each franchise at different points. Uh, so it was like September 12th, 2018 was when they announced that a virtual ticket was coming. But then they had a separate announcement for what are you going to get for Heroes of the Storm? What are you going to get for uh, WoW Classic? What are you going to get from uh, Hearthstone? So each of those were kind of sprinkled throughout uh, that time. Um, they had the different global championships that were going to be there for that year. So um, stuff like StarCraft II, World of Warcraft Arena, uh, Hearthstone Global Games was big, th- big thing that year. They also announced, and they always have a goodie bag that you can purchase uh, that's sort of what the physical people would get or people who are able to attend physically would get there. You could purchase that separately. Um, what else? They've got a video series. They've got voting for different panels. Um, they've got some uh, different videos that you could watch. Um, and so th- there's something being released pretty much every day in October, other than maybe the weekends. Um, I'm seeing a few days that are missing, but for the most part, every day is there. And then October 15th is when they finally announced uh, the map and schedule of what was coming. So we got to see where each game was going to be, a uh, time frame for different panels and stuff like that, and uh, got to see, I mean, we know that we're going to get big announcements for every franchise, but actually being able to see what the panels are, um, what additional things they're going to have, because each each franchise has a panel to go more in-depth with the announcements that they make. But then in addition to that, each franchise also has a panel or, or two or even more that go in depth with other things. So like for Hearthstone, I think it was the artists were actually taking you through um, how they design a pack opening, which is pretty neat. And I think Overwatch had like a voice panel where they had different voice actors that could talk about it. You know, so we got to see all of that on October 15th last year. Um, it is October 21st as I'm recording this. And we, we still don't know. October 17th, they came out with uh, some security stuff to make us aware of. October 18th, they had an online merchandise sale, which is great for business because people like to buy things. Um, what else? October 24th, they were talking about some rewards from Facebook gaming streams that they were doing. Twitch drops came after that. And then um, October 25th, they finally revealed who was going to be the um, the closeout music finale that they do every year. And they did a music festival with three different artists that, uh, that year. So, man, this just feels weird to me that we haven't heard anything. And that was a really long-winded way of saying that, basically. We're all eager to see what, what Blizzard has up their sleeves and um, spoiler alert, I still really, really think that we're going to see something brand new, some IP that we've never heard of or considered before, and I feel like it's going to knock our socks off. Um, so 
I, I know that they can't really tell us anything about that. And, and honestly, like the biggest thing I have um, to really support that is from the virtual ticket announcement that they had this year. They said at the very end of it, and more to come, more BlizzCon virtual ticket extras are in the works, including a pair of wings for Diablo 3 players that's not terribly exciting. Stay tuned for more details. So it's something for Diablo players, obviously. But to me, that just screams that there's something huge. They might be giving away, like, I, it would be easy for them to give away something in-game for whatever new thing that they announce. But I wonder if they're actually going to price out that game at, like, at $30 or something. And they're actually going to give it away free for people who have the virtual ticket or something. Because it would be kind of a no-brainer for them, honestly, to be able to sell more of those. Because they're even trying to sell the virtual ticket after BlizzCon started, if I recall that correctly, last year. So, uh, yeah, I'm... It, it's weird to say the least, but I'm I'm still eager. They kind of have to tell us something more about it. I guess they don't have to legitimately, um, but I, w- I would hope that they're actually going to say something about security again because there could be protesters very likely at this uh, at this event. So um, what are you doing to kind of help people who are going to be there? What would you recommend for how to interact? That kind of stuff. So. I can imagine that revealing too much, specifically the floor map, could actually be revealing that something is coming that's that's unknown and mysterious to us. But um, I'd rather have some information than nothing. So hopefully we'll have something coming soon. And uh, there's not a lot to say about it other than that, but I wanted to at least make you aware if you're planning on being at BlizzCon, if you're interested in what's coming, we really don't know right now. So... Be looking forward to November 1st and 2nd. Um, there's almost this thing in the back of my mind that's like, are they considering canceling it? Because that would be, it would kind of be absurd. But I don't know, maybe maybe there's too much of a risk there to pull, to pull this off. I don't think there is. Um, but the lack of any communication definitely has me wondering. So we'll see what happens. Um, but still excited and hopeful that, that BlizzCon is going to be something special this year. So... Uh, the other thing here was that Masters Tour Bucharest uh, wrapped up, and I don't cover a lot of esports stuff on this show because, honestly, a lot of other Hearthstone podcasts do that uh, much better than than I can. Um, but I want to congratulate Eddie for winning that. Um, really great win from him and great uh, great showing from a lot of different players across the world. I really enjoy watching these Masters Tour events because you get the up-and-coming stars along with the people who are in the Grandmaster system. So this is the uh, one event every quarter or I guess four months that I really look forward to and I'm excited to watch. So uh, congrats to him. Congrats also to Language Hacker and Nalgadon for uh, earning their rights into Grandmasters. Excited for them. And uh, hopeful that we'll see more more coming, I guess, in the future. Um, there's not a, a ton to say, honestly, other than that. So I guess we'll say on to the sponsor break right there. So I just want to thank all of you who are supporting the show and making it possible over at patreon.com slash the happy hearthstone. And uh, want to tell you that from the bottom of my heart, like something like BlizzCon wouldn't be possible without people supporting the show at the level that they are. So that's why I'm always really excited to create more content. That's why I'm eager to uh, go and be a part of the Hearthstone panel to represent our awesome community and to give back in a way through that. Um, I, I also always create an episode while I'm over there so I can give you my first reactions and someone else who uh, is a friend who's over there. 
I uh, got to do that with Major Death last year, and that was a ton of fun, and I'm planning on doing that again this year. I'm talking about what I can give, but the truth is that I receive far more from being able to go on a trip like this than I could ever give back. So uh, thank you all so much for enjoying the show, for believing in it, and for investing in yourself, because I really take it seriously that the stuff I'm coming out with on Patreon is stuff to help you improve as a Hearthstone player, which I know is a reason that a lot of you tune in uh, to hear about the the nuances and the ways that you can improve. Uh, I'm continuing to work on that, to work on uh, the book, actually. I'm, I'm anticipating still that I'll be able to have it done by the end of the year. And actually this week, I'm going to be throwing a lot of my weight at that. So I'm excited to get more details out in the public, hopefully even by next week's episode, probably. So um, that should be good. And uh, the offer is still on the table for this month. If you're interested in really being a part of that book release, you can join the Patreon at $5 or above, and you'll get a special shout out in the book uh, that's only available for those people. So go check it out over at patreon.com slash the happy hearthstone. And thank you again so much to everyone who's uh, chipping in to make the show possible for supporting weekly episodes. Uh, some of you may not even know that that wasn't a thing until until people step up, stepped up on the Patreon. So thank you all so much uh, for listening and for being a part of that. Okay, let's talk about the meta. So let's return to the question I, I posed at the very beginning, even before you started this episode, about is Shaman as good as you think? Uh, if you've played any amount of ladder lately, you have no doubt seen uh, the insanity right now that is out there. There were two cards that came back to Shaman uh, in the Wild Patch, and that was Evolve, which is a one-mana spell that transforms all friendly minions into minions that cost one mana more, and then Thing from Below, which is a six-mana 5-5, five, five, and for every totem that you summoned that game, uh, Thing from Below's mana cost gets discounted by one. So both of these cards are really strong, and in fact, they synergize pretty well because in the past, you've been able, if you're using your hero power at all in a shaman deck, to get your thing from things from below to a average cost of like three, probably, I would say, in most games. And then sometimes you get them for free. Sometimes you even get them, uh, you know, down to one or something like that, too. And if you can evolve those things from below, you have a zero mana play, or a one mana play, I guess, with evolve, that actually gets you a seven cost minion. It's pretty crazy. With mutate, it's the same thing, and that one's been playable too. The even greater offenders, though, than things from below, have been Mogu Flesh Shaper, which has been in the meta for, I, I guess, since it was released with Saviors of Old Doom, is it's a seven mana three, four with Rush that costs one less for each minion on the battlefield. So if you're putting minions on the battlefield, if your opponent's putting minions on the battlefield, there is a good chance you can get Mogu Flesh Shaper down to three or even less uh, on there as well. The other card that came out, this one's been played since Savers of Old Doom, but the one that came out of nowhere since Evolve has been out is Desert Hair. And th this was another Savers of Old Doom release, but wasn't messed with at all uh, before, before the Wild Patch. And Desert Hair is a three mana, one, one beast minion. Battlecry summon two, one, one Desert Hairs. So, I, it really doesn't matter. You're creating three minions that are three costs. So with Evolve, you're able to transform all of them into four cost minions, which is pretty good for four mana. It, it, you can imagine that as a four mana combo, uh, summon four four cost uh, minions. 
uh, for four mana, typically you play like a Chillwind Yeti is kind of the uh, the vanilla test, as it were. So uh, yeah, pretty insane. Mogu Flesh Shaper hasn't needed Evolve. It's had Mutate, and that's good enough on its own. But together now, it's created a state where you can create a deck just with minions that can evolve well, and that's kind of created the archetype of Evolve Shaman. But those things actually fit perfectly fine in a Quest Shaman also, because Desert Hare has a battle cry, so that continues quest, uh, your quest you know, impetus. And Mogu Flesh Shaper, you really don't care because it's just good enough, essentially. So what's interesting is that with Quest Shaman uh, and the Hero Power, now not only do you have the option for four mana of getting three four-cost minions, but for, I guess that's six mana, potentially, you can actually get five four-cost minions, which is uh, kind of insane. You have no doubt played up against these archetypes, and they are they are really contributing a lot to the ladder right now. So... Uh, I went on to hsreplay.net, and you all know that I, I use this resource all the time. Uh, you know, I do some work with them, so I am biased to a point, um, but I utilize their stuff on my own, period. And I, I got some of their free data that's available on their site uh, to, to just frame up the conversation that we're talking about here. So just looking at data from the past seven days, let's talk about how much Shaman is dominating the meta right now. So... From most popular to least popular of the insane amounts of games that have been played, Quest Shaman has a 54% win rate overall. Evolve Shaman has a 54.1% win rate. And then the undersung hero that you may not know is also sneakily pretty dominant on the ladder. It's actually Murloc Shaman, 56.1%, the highest win rate out of all three of those. Um, and, and what's really impressive is actually the amount of games that are being played. So Quest Shaman, in the past seven days, and this is just people using HS Replay's uh, free deck trackers, uh, this, there are more games, obviously, that are being played than this, but uh, this gives us a baseline of data that we can, that we can rely on. So for Quest Shaman, 590,000 games in the past seven days. Evolve Shaman, 230,000 games, and Murloc Shaman, 120,000 games. So altogether, that's, if I do some quick math, that's almost a million games, essentially. I guess it's closer to 950,000, but, but seriously, about a million that are being played. And what's interesting is if you combine that in percentage... Compared to the rest of the games that are being played across all archetypes, and honestly, the wild cards that were introduced did break up and create a ton of new archetypes within just about every class. Um, these three archetypes make up over 20% of games that are being played right now. When you think about that, you've got nine different classes. So actually, you should be just above 10% if things are average overall. 20% of the meta is really insane. And all of these having above average win rates and pretty significantly above, 54% is not something to balk at by any stretch. It may not sound that impressive, but the truth is that the more games that you have aggregately, I guess is a word maybe, <laughs> the more games that you have combined, um, the the more neutral your statistic is going to be for percentage of win rates. So for almost 600,000 games to have a 54% win rate is pretty crazy. And then Murloc Shaman really kind of being a surprise here, 120,000 games, 56.1% to remind you. 
Uh, that is that is pretty absurd to be that high, and actually it qualifies it as one of the two uh, tier one decks right now on HS Replay. It was interesting too, looking at the worst matchups of each of these, because you know I, w- I was listening to the latest episode of Coin Concede, and they were talking uh, a lot about Shaman and about how there's not a silver bullet to combat all of these kinds of shaman lists. And I, I dug into it a little deeper and noticed that that they're absolutely right, essentially. Quest Shaman's worst matchup right now, according to HS Replay, is Combo Priest. Evolve Shaman's worst matchup is Control Warrior. And then Murloc Shaman's worst matchup is Highlander Warrior, which if you haven't played with or against Highlander Warrior much, much is more of a tempo-aggressive warrior build. Uh, so you've got a combo deck, a control deck, and an aggressive deck that are the three uh, the three best matchups for these. That makes things really, really tough because these archetypes are different enough and yet so similar that it's just, it's really frustrating. You can't necessarily go up against one thing. And I guess if there's anything that should be in your sights, Quest Shaman is that, because it's got more than double what Evolve Shaman has right now. So if you have to choose one to tech against, to work about how to how to play against it, uh, that's your way to do it. But it doesn't negate the fact that you are probably still going to see Evolve Shaman and maybe Murloc Shaman also on the board. And uh, and the tough thing is when you see uh, Thrall coming up as your opponent's portrait, uh, you're just not guaranteed what you're going to see until a few a few turns down the road. Uh, I guess actually turn one, you probably know what you're playing against because they're either playing the quest or they're playing a um, a Murloc Tidecaller if they're Murloc Shaman. So if they haven't played either of those, they're probably Evolve. Again, you don't know that for sure, though. Murloc Shaman may have just had a bad hand. So is Shaman as good as you think? Well, yes, on one hand, uh, because it is very dependable. And I think that the most unsung reason that it's so good is because of what I just said, which I haven't heard very often, is that it is it is a slippery thing for your opponent to try and figure out what you're doing as they're mulliganing. And they cannot reliably mulligan against what you are. They'll just figure probably what their most recent experience was, whether that was Evolve or Quest Shaman, and they'll try to anticipate for that. Uh, I don't know about you, but in my experience, Quest Shaman especially is the really difficult one to figure out how to play against. And I think that's why Combo Priest is its worst matchup, because Combo Priest can have some explosive openings that can have them winning the game on turn four or five, which is just about when Quest Shaman is completing their quest if they've had the right game plan and right mulligan and stuff. So it's good to know that the mind games are actually one of your greatest assets if you're trying to control one of these uh, one of these decks Uh, to hit your next goal on the ladder, essentially. But what's interesting is that none of these archetypes actually have the highest win rate right now. The highest win rate, according to HS Replay, in the past seven days, Secret Highlander Paladin. It's got a 57.1% win rate, so a full percentage point above Murloc Shaman. And it's actually got more games than Murloc Shaman, 140,000 right now. And I think, I can't remember for sure if I mentioned it last week or not, um, but I have been playing a lot of Secret Highlander Paladin. I made it up to rank four with it and um, continuing to, to rise slowly but steadily. 
And it's been really super reliable for me. In fact, so much so that I made a video for patrons that are uh, at $5 or above. I make exclusive video content for them uh, every week. And one of the decks that I highlighted was the Secret Highlander Paladin that I've been playing lately. I still don't understand why it's good because (laughs) there's no like huge... Uh, synergistic thing that happens. You've got Mysterious Challenger and Avenge, obviously, which are just so, so good together. Um, but everything else is just really standard and good tempo plays. So being able to play an Argent Squire on turn one, uh, getting Sir Finlay of the Sands out early and being able to get the Hunter upgraded hero power or Rogue or Druid, like all of those just start doing a lot of damage that kind of snowball the game in your favor by turn seven or eight is usually when I'm winning the game with that deck. So. Um, it's really interesting to me to see that happen. And as I was looking at, like, does Secret Highlander Paladin actually do well against those Shaman builds? Uh, one of the greatest uh, resources to you, and this is, again, one of the free things on hsreplay.net, is if you go to their meta page, there's a tab at the top that says Matchups. You click on that, and then on the far right-hand side of the page are three little letters, EWR, and that stands for Estimated Win Rate. If you click on that, it will show you, in order... The, uh, the archetypes that are going to be most viable on the ladder based off of popularity. And this is one of the things I look at pretty much any time I'm not sure what to play on the ladder. Because it's going to show you based off of the amount of data that they've gotten and win rates of those different archetypes, what their estimated win rate for different archetypes is. And you can organize that by type. Secret Highlander Paladin is at the top of that list. Not Quest Shaman, not Evolve Shaman, not Murloc Shaman. Murloc Shaman is second and uh, just a little over a percentage point for it there. Um, but Secret Highlander Paladin is at the top. And what was interesting is that all of its negative win rates, um, what Evolve Shaman and Quest Shaman are the most popular for that, are only actually less than a percentage point. And actually, I even read this wrong. <laughs> so it's less than a percentage point for its negative win rate against Evolve Shaman. So it's 49.16%. Quest Shaman is actually just above 50%, so 50.17%. And you don't need to read too in-depth with that. Really, all that means for you practically is that if you play Secret Highlander Paladin and you're up against Evolve Shaman or Quest Shaman, you're going to win about half the time. And that's about all you can ask for against uh, decks that are doing so well on the ladder right now. Secret Highlander Paladin does have a much more significant win rate against other popular decks like Murloc Shaman. Secret Highlander Hunter is also really popular. Murloc Paladin is out there. Um, Midrange Highlander Hunter, Highlander Warlock. Um, Tempo Rogue, Highlander Warrior. Uh, Resurrect Priest is the only other one that'll give it a run for its money. And really, you just a little tidbit of advice for you. If you're in that matchup, you just have to play your Zephyrus, Zephyrus into Mass Dispel really smartly. Uh, if you can get that right and you have some luck on your side, you can still win that match. Uh, 46% isn't unbeatable. It's just they're going to beat you if you didn't play that well, essentially. Or if you, if you uh, were drawing rocks, essentially, which can happen too. So... 
I think honestly, this is my personal experience and what the data is showing right now that Secret Highlander Paladin, Paladin actually, that is tough to say, is that Secret Highlander Paladin is actually your greatest asset when it comes to rising on the ladder right now. And, uh, you know, I, I think that especially if you're looking at the free data on HS Replay, um, this is taking into account the massive amounts of games that are from rank 15 through rank 6. I don't know this for sure, but I would say that probably most of the games in the data are skewed towards that uh, variant. So, um, so yeah, I think that if you're in that range, which most of you probably are, this is going to really help you. In fact, it's no surprise to you that my deck recommendation for today is going to be Secret Highlander Paladin. And I'll include the deck list that I've been playing with. Uh, that's actually from a player named Denim Blue 7 who hit Legend with this list. Uh, it's just been really consistent and really good for me lately. And I'll include that uh, list over at thehappyhearthstone.com in the show notes. Um, and I, I just think that this is a list that if you've got the assets for, which most of them are pretty accessible, uh, Sir Finley of the Sands might be the one that I wouldn't recommend crafting necessarily, because I don't know how much of a thing this is going to be, honestly, and how for how long. Um, but I would highly recommend that if you have the cards for it, go for it. Uh, learn the deck. It is very much a curve stone kind of deck where you want to play the most uh, most or the best resources that you can on each turn. Uh, and Zephyrus is probably the highest uh, skill cap card in there. In fact, I actually just most recently lost a game against a Highlander Mage that I played Zephyrus for tempo and it was absolutely the wrong thing to do. If I had held Zephyrus for just an extra fireball at the end, I would have won that game. And uh, because I was too greedy and I think I, what did I get? I was offered... Uh, Oh, I, I got a Gladiator's Longbow because I thought that that would help me out enough, and it absolutely did not. So, um, so yeah, be careful with that card. Uh, really cool card, uh, but a tough card to play and not one that you want to take lightly as far as its ability to impact the game. So, um, so, is, so I'll come back to the question one more time. Is Shaman as good as you think? Yes and no. It is good in so much as it has a very favorable win rate against a lot of things. Its greatest asset is the unpredictability. And if you really want to throw someone off, play a Murloc Shaman because they probably won't be expecting that. And Murloc Shaman can snowball even more than Quest Shaman or Evolve Shaman can. I think that, um, yeah, that's probably the, the best stuff. But it's not the best thing on the ladder right now. According to the data, in my experience, Secret Highlander Paladin is the thing that can really take you to the next step. So uh, again, you can check out the show notes at thehappyhearthstone.com to see my deck recommendation and the deck list I've been playing with for Secret Highlander Paladin. And let me know if you agree or disagree. Is Shaman uh, as good as we think it is? Have you actually been trying to navigate it and uh, not been having a lot of success with it? Or has it just been uh, pummeling you into the twisting nether (laughs) every time that you're on there? Let me know. You can email me at thehappyhearthstone at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at andrewisliving to let me know what you think. All right, let's move on to our community section. Uh, no reviews this week. I want to really encourage you because a little bit of a dry spell here for reviews. But if you haven't left a review yet, this is a, a free way that you can say thank you. If this is a show you look forward to in your feed, uh, you can let other people know and you can uh, boost its visibility essentially just by taking a couple minutes of your time 
to either switch over if you're on the Apple Podcast app right now, or to pull up iTunes on your computer, find the show, and uh, leave a review there. But I'd love to read it on the show, and uh, so thankful for those of you who have done that, and for those of you who will continue to do that. All right, so let's talk about a card of the week here. And I have got, you know, every now and then I kind of push myself. I was like, Andrew, card of the week's been fun, but uh, you kind of fallen into just doing the popular songs. So is there something totally offbeat you could find? And guess what? I found it. It's a little bit shorter of a song, but I think those of you who recognize it will like it. All right, here we go. Oh, oh, my grow mommy, this minion's hard to beat. If you're building an island or there's a friend here, you should meet. Oh, oh, in effect that will create some heat. Oh, oh, doesn't matter what else you put on the board. Oh, oh, slap him down, your opponent's looking down in horror. Oh, did I mention magnetizing works? Oh, oh, to make him into the minion that takes charge. My grow mommy, this minion's hard to beat. My grow mommy. This minion's hard to beat. And if you caught that reference, major bonus points. (laughs) Actually, let me know on Twitter uh, with your favorite gif of what this was a spoof of, if you know what it is, because it's one of my favorites. All right. So Micro Mummy, two mana, one, two minion, uh, Paladin. It's an epic minion. And it has Reborn, and at the end of your turn, give a random friendly minion plus one attack. I've been playing this card in uh, the Highlander Paladin list that I mentioned, and oh my goodness, I'm always happy to see Micro Mummy. Uh, the, the one thing I didn't mention is that this list is quite aggressive, or it tries to be aggressive. It's got some great late game uh, cards also, don't get me wrong, but the games where uh, I really win are the ones where I'm able to just spin out turn one, two, three. So playing that Argent Squire into Micro Mummy, into Snip Snap, or uh, coin out an oil module on top of Micro Mummy. Like, it just ends up being insane. And um, yeah, I've just been really impressed by Micro Mummy. It's not something that's too um, overly, like, I, I'm pretty sure we probably gave it a three or a four on our review. I'd be interested to actually go back and see. Um, on its own, though, it's perfectly fine. And the fact that it it buffs the board it can uh, it can buff the acolyte of pain or the argent like there's nothing in this list i think that has one health other than like if you uh, haven't upgraded your hero power or something like that so pretty much anything it buffs is good um, but then all of the other magnetizing minions uh, this one runs glowtron annoya module and snip snap i think that's enough too um any single one of those is going to be pretty devastating essentially um so yeah i've just been super impressed by micro mummy i've had fun with it and uh it 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 is really the card that i don't think i've given enough press to for being a game changer for this deck so wanted to celebrate micro mummy uh and also throw you all back to some great 90s tunes uh that you may have seen in commercials and stuff so that's your only hint for what it was. <laughs> so as I close out this show, just want to remind you as always that you are the happy Hearthstone. This podcast isn't just about me getting behind a microphone every week. I mean, obviously it's kind of a pillar. It's what kind of connects us all and stuff. Um, but really this podcast wouldn't exist if you weren't listening to it and uh, connecting with the community in such a positive way. So I'm super thankful you'd want to spend some time with me and hope that this episode has been helpful for you as you're continuing to grind and create momentum for yourself on the ladder. 
Um, and there are uh, several ways that you can support the show. One of them I mentioned as far as the iTunes review, it's the best free way to support the show. So uh, please consider it if you haven't done it yet. And then others of you, you've been thinking about joining the Patreon. Now is the best time because of that special offer that will go away at the end of this month. So go check it out. Sign up for a month. See if you like it. And uh, you'll get that uh, shout out in the book. So uh, there's really, there's especially no downside because of that. But I think you're going to like the exclusive stuff that I create on there. And uh, just a great way to connect with other people too. So patreon.com slash the happy hearthstone. And I have to send a huge thank you as always to Menach, Jay Miller, Mr. Blurry, Mark P and number theory for being producers of the happy hearthstone. You may not know this, but people who are supporting the show at the producer level, they are producers and they get a uh, one-on-one coaching session with me every single month. So I uh, love getting to do those. In fact, I had uh, my first one recently with number theory and it was a great time. So um, it's one of the best ways that you can invest in your gameplay, just getting someone else to sit with you, talk through plays. And I love getting to do this for the producers of the show. So thank you five so much for supporting at the level that you do and uh, just really enjoy continuing to uh, revel in our friendship together. So, uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, I'd love to hear what you thought about this show, what you'd like to see in future shows. You can email me as always at thehappyhearthstone at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at andrewisliving. And I'll shout out just because I haven't in a while that if you're interested in finding some good people to watch stream Hearthstone, you can go to thehappyhearthstone.com slash newsletter and get a free download there of all of my recommendations for people to watch on Twitch streams. One of the best ways you can grow as a player actually hearing their thoughts and stuff. And I have specific streamers for, I think, every class, or most every class. Uh, Also some arena streamers, wild streamers, and everything in between. So go check it out, thehappyhearthstone.com slash newsletter. You'll also get updates whenever I come out with content. So it's a great way to stay connected and check out um, what I'm coming up with. So go do that, and it's free, of course. (laughs) So... Uh, That's all I got for you this week. So looking forward to our special BlizzCon prediction episode next week. It's going to be great. I even have some surprises for you. So thank you so much for visiting the Happy Hearthstone and having a little fun with us. We'll see you next time. 